Church Family, John Wilfew here. Today we're going to be reading about an ancient battle and how Moses called on God for help and when the fighting was over he built an altar and called it Yahweh Nisi, the Lord is my banner, Exodus chapter 17 and verse 15. Now our current teaching series has the title Name Above all names. When God first revealed himself to Moses, he said, my name is Yahweh. I am who I am, but one and only living God, eternal, self-existent, unchanging and Lord of all. And in the Hebrew Bible, this is the signature name of God, Yahweh. And it is the prefix to several other names of God. We've looked at Yahweh Jireh, the Lord is our provider, and Yahweh Rapha, the Lord is our healer. And today it is Yahweh Nisi, the Lord is my banner. Now next year is the 40th anniversary of the Falklands conflict between Argentina and the United Kingdom. Some of you will remember the ferocious battle for Goose Green when the commanding officer of the 2nd Battalion, the Parachute Regiment, Lieutenant Colonel H. Jones, was uh, killed in action. He was awarded a posthumous uh, Victoria Cross. And that day darkness fell with the British soldiers vastly outnumbered. They'd sustained heavy casualties in fierce fighting over 14 hours. 17 of them had been killed and 64 were wounded. And now they were caught in an area with very little cover. Now the acting commanding officer was Major Chris Keeble. And he knew that come the morning they'd be exposed to murderous enemy fire. And I recall hearing him in a radio interview admitting that he really did not know what to do. But as a Christian, he knew one thing he could do, and that was he could cry out to God. And so he prayed, and he prayed something like this, please help me, Lord, because I just do not know what to do. Have you ever prayed that kind of prayer? I certainly, I certainly have. Moments later, he said he knew exactly what to do. But it was not a, a manoeuvre out of his military manual. In the morning, he would call on the enemy to surrender. Yes, that's what he would do. Enough men had been killed, he would call on the enemy to surrender. So in the morning, that's what he did. And to everyone's great surprise, 1,000 Argentine soldiers surrendered unconditionally. You see... They too had sustained very heavy casualties. Around 50 of their men had already been killed and 120 were wounded. Now, Major Keeble was awarded the DSO, uh, the Distinguished Service Order, for his leadership. But he knew, he knew that this unusual strategy had come from God, from crying out to God for help. In Exodus 17, which we'll be looking at in a few moments, we'll see that Many centuries earlier, Moses cried out to God for help in a ferocious battle. He'd recently uh, led the Israelites out of slavery in Egypt. They were traveling from place to place in the Sinai Desert. Having camped at Rephidim, the people were weary. They were beginning to grumble. And when they complained of thirst, God told Moses to strike a rock with his staff. Water poured out. The people were able to quench their thirst. But then they came 
under attack. Now let's look at the text before asking what God wants to say to us this morning. Exodus chapter 17 uh, and verse 8 begins, the Amalekites came and attacked the Israelites at Rephidim. Now who were these Amalekites? Well they were cousins of Israel. They were in the family tree of Esau, the older twin brother of Jacob, who was then renamed Israel. Now Esau had hated Jacob after Jacob had taken the firstborn blessing for many years. But then eventually they were reconciled. But Esau's grandson, Amalek, picked up that bitterness and carried it forward. That's how vendettas begin. That's how terrible things go on for generations until people don't even know what, what started them. And it was Amalek's descendants who were the very first to attack Israel after the exodus. The Amalekites came and attacked the Israelites at Rephidim. Verse 9, Moses said to Joshua, choose some of our men and go out to fight the Amalekites. Tomorrow I will stand on top of the hill with the staff of God in my hands, the very one that had struck the rock. Verse 10, so Joshua fought the Amalekites as Moses had ordered, and Moses, Aaron, and Hur went to the top of the hill. As long as Moses held up his hands, the Israelites were winning, but whenever he lowered his hands, the, the Amalekites were winning. So the battle uh, was fought on two levels. Joshua was fighting with a sword in the valley, while Moses was fighting on the hilltop with his hands raised to God. One was fighting physically, and the other was fighting spiritually, and it proved to be the spiritual that was decisive. Verse 12, <clears throat> when Moses' hands grew tired, they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it. Aaron and he held his hands up, one on one side, one on the other, so that his hands remained steady till sunset. So Joshua overcame the Amalekite army with the sword. Then the Lord said to Moses, Write this on a scroll as something to be remembered, and make sure that Joshua hears it. Joshua and those who'd fought alongside him had played a crucial role, but they needed to know that the battle hadn't been won by military power or superior battle plans. It had been won by the power of God. He needed to know this because he's got to have many more battles ahead of him. Now, there was a second reason for writing down what had happened on a scroll. And the text goes on, because I will completely blot out the name of Amalek from under heaven. You see, throughout the Old Testament period, the Amalekites remained bitter enemies of Israel. Their main home was in the desert, but they regularly raided the territory settled by the 12 tribes. And actually, Israel's first king, Saul, was slain by an Amalekite. Now they were finally vanquished by King Hezekiah. Um, and after that, 
the only Amalekite left brought judgment on himself. You'll read about this in the book of Esther. Haman was a descendant of Agag, king of the Amalekites, and true to form, he tried to exterminate the Jewish exiles in Persia, but he was put to death eventually on the very gallows that he had prepared for Mordecai the Jew. Verse 15, Moses built an altar and called it Yahweh Nisi, the Lord is my banner. Moses went beyond writing the story on a scroll. He did that, and that's how we're reading about it today, but he built an altar. Altars, of course, were set up to offer sacrifice, to give thanks, but this was, well, this was also a memorial, wasn't it? It was highlighting a special place. This place could easily have been their graveyard. It could have been a valley of dry bones, but God had delivered them here in this, in this particular place. I wonder, are there specific places where you have experienced God in some wonderful way? Have you got some wonderful God stories to tell? You know, it's, it's good to tell other people if you have, and particularly your offspring, your children, and your grandchildren. There'll come a, an age, a stage of their life, the grandchildren, where they will love to hear those stories. Tell them those stories of what God has done for you. And that's what Moses was doing here. And Moses gave the memorial a name. It was a new name for Yahweh. Verse 15 again, Moses built an altar and called it Yahweh Nisi. The Lord is my banner. Now this name appears only here in the whole Bible. The Lord is my banner. From ancient times, banners, ensigns, flags were raised in the midst of battle. By looking at a, a banner, soldiers could identify friend from foe. Gathering under a banner showed who you belonged to. And for Moses, Yahweh himself was his banner. This is who I belong to. He is the only true living God. And, you know, we can appropriate this name as Christians because Jesus himself claimed the signature name of God for himself. And frequently he used this term, I, I am. I, I am the resurrection and the life. I, I am the bread of life. I, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I, I am the good shepherd. And on one occasion, when he said, before Abraham was, I, I am, the people picked up stones to kill him for blasphemy because they knew exactly what he was claiming for himself. He took the signature name of God. When Thomas met the risen Jesus, he said, my Lord and my God. He knew now who Jesus was. The Apostle Paul could write of Jesus. He is the image of the invisible God. The whole fullness of deity dwells in him bodily. So now we can appropriate this name, Yahweh, Nisi. The Lord is my banner. This banner is ours too. So what is, what is God saying to us this morning? Well, the first thing that I think he's saying to us is that we, 
find shelter under this banner. We will find shelter under this banner. Moses knew it was God who had sheltered and delivered them. He was leading a, 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 a thousands of weak, weary, former slaves, old and young, men and women, small children. They were attacked with, they were so vulnerable. The Amalekites were picking off the weak at the back of the, of the, of the, uh, the, the big crowd of people. So what does this mean for us? We can shelter, find shelter under this banner. Well, it means we can, first of all, speak this name over ourselves. When you say the Lord is my banner, you're just saying I'm helpless without him. Psalm 60 verse 4 could almost be a commentary on this. It says you have given a banner for those who fear you that they may flee to it from the bow that your beloved ones may be delivered. In World War II, when the siren sounded, whole families ran for the shelter. They ran for the air raid shelter. Moses found his shelter in God. And the psalmist too, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. The author of Proverbs, the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run to it and are safe. He's talking about a shelter. The name of Yahweh is a shelter, a place of safety. And because Jesus is I, I am, he has the name above every name. There is no more powerful name than the name of Jesus. Think about that this morning in your circumstances. When we are desperate, when we are helpless, we can call out the name of Jesus. Do that this morning. Lord, I am desperate. I am helpless, but I'm going to speak your name over myself. When, when you're afraid, when you're under attack, you can call out the name of Jesus. Jesus, I speak your name over myself now. When, when you're out of your depth, and we're often out of our depths, we can call on the name of Jesus. Why don't you do that now? Why don't you do that now in your circumstances? You might be going through a really tough time at this time. You may, you, you may be at the end of your tether. You can call out the name of Jesus. You know, around AD 430, uh, a young lad, 16-year-old, called Sukkat, came to be known as St. Patrick, was kidnapped by an Irish raiding party and sold into slavery to a local king in Armagh, and he was there for years. But during those years, he came to faith, a living faith in Jesus, and he learned to pray, and he learned to call on Jesus for shelter, for protection. And he developed this wonderful prayer that's sometimes now known as Pat Patrick's breastplate. And you and I can pray it too. I, I'm just going to read you a tiny extract from it. Christ, shield me today. Christ with me. Christ before me. Christ behind me. Christ in me. Christ beneath me. Christ above me. Christ on my right. Christ on my left. Christ when I lie down. Christ when I sit down. Christ when I arise. We can speak this name of Jesus over ourselves. Will you do that? But you know, we can also speak this name over others by raising our hands to God 
we can bring other people under God's banner, under his shelter, just as Moses did for Joshua and his comrades in the valley. There are so many people at this time who need us to intercede for them. Those who are in the front line, while many of us are on the hilltop, many who are struggling, many who are vulnerable, many heroes out there doing all sorts of practical things on the ground and we need to be praying for them and I know many of you have been doing that and we've seen some great answers because of that but you know this morning I want to highlight the plight of our persecuted brothers and sisters around the world you know they rarely get a mention although there was a report in the Times newspaper quite recently on January the 13th and I'd like to quote from it now the number of Christians facing persecution of some kind around the world has increased from 312 million to almost 342 million over the past year, according to the Open Doors organisation, which monitors conditions for Christians across the globe. It's feared this persecution has been increased by the pandemic worsening the situation for Christians in countries where they represent a minority. Across sub-Saharan Africa, <laughs> the church faced up to 30% higher levels of violence than last year at the hands of Islamist militant groups. Some groups pledged to wedge jihad against the infidels. They say it was because of them that Allah punishes us all with this pandemic. In Nigeria, the number of Christians killed has tripled to 3,800. Open Doors said that Christians were being denied <coughs> coronavirus aid in countries including India, Burma, Nepal, Yemen, Sudan, Bangladesh and Pakistan, especially in rural areas. My dear friends, these, these uh, dear friends need to be um, br brought before God in, in prayer. We need to raise our hands uh, to God for them. But, you know, it's going to involve earnest and sustained intercession. It's something I suspect that we need to do alongside others. Even Moses needed a, a stone to sit on and he needed others to keep his arms up. We need others alongside us to strengthen us and partner uh, with us in this but there is such a desperate need to pray for our brothers and sisters worldwide but you might say well in what sense is there shelter under God's banner for persecuted believers indeed for any Christians facing injustice slander and and false accusation bad things still happen to us how can we say we find shelter under his name well, we know that he can deliver his saints from fiery furnaces uh, and lion's dens. Not only in scripture, but we know in life that happens. Great rescues. We read in scripture how God answered the prayers of the early church when Peter was thrown into prison and the plan was to execute him. And he was miraculously set free. So God can deliver his saints. You can pray for them and deliverance will come because you prayed. 
when there is no actual deliverance, believers have a throne of grace where they can go with confidence to find grace and mercy in their trial, in their time of need. They will find the grace to be able to handle it, to, to go through it, to go through the fire, to go through the water, for the waters not to overwhelm them and the fire not to burn them. And when we are in Christ, the promise is that nothing, no hardship, no suffering can ever separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Nothing. Not even death itself. The Lord is our banner. Yahweh Nisi. But there is not only shelter under God's banner. We win battles under this banner. And this is the second thing I feel God wants to say to us powerfully this morning. We win battles under this banner. The altar Moses built was proclaiming the victory won here is now part of our history with God. Now, as a church, we already have some victories, battles won in our history with God. But, you know, there are more battles to be won. But who are our enemies? We're not fighting Amalekites, are we? Actually, the Bible says our struggle is not against flesh and blood. It's against the powers of this dark world, spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. But as God's people, we are called to take the battle to the enemy. Jesus described his church on the offensive, not the defensive, when he said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. There are battles to be won, but not with the world's weapons. I mean, I, I, I shiver at the, at the history of the Crusades. You know, men going out there with crosses on their shields and swords, killing all and sundry in the name of Jesus. These are not our weapons, folks. Our weapons are spiritual weapons. Ours have divine power to demolish strongholds. Prayer, <clears throat> faith, the word of God, servanthood, forgiveness, acts of kindness, unconditional love, sacrifice, laying down your life. And we see all these demonstrated, personified in Jesus perfectly. And it's through his death on the cross that Jesus wins the decisive, the ultimate victory. We now fight from victory, not for victory. We're on the winning side already. And we are called to win more battles. And we do so from victory. Isaiah, the prophet, chapter 13, verse 1 and 2, here underlines this call to advance and win battles. We're the people of God. On a bare hill, he writes, raise a banner, cry aloud to them, beckon them to enter the gates of the nobles, a proud city. And this is actually a vivid image of God's people being summoned to charge the gates of Babylon. Babylon, the mighty superpower of the day. You know, friends, there are Battles to be won at this time over enemies that regard themselves as superpowers. Enemies like fear. Enemies like anxiety. Enemies like despair. 
they vaunt themselves as superpowers, but there is power in the name of Jesus. He is the name above every name, over all of those so-called superpowers. So this morning, I want to speak the name of Jesus again, so that we win battles because of this name, this banner. Jesus' name is more powerful this morning than any sickness that you have, whether it's physical, whether it's emotional, or whether it's mental. Whatever it is, Jesus' name is more powerful this morning than that. Do you believe that? The name of Jesus is more powerful than COVID. The name of Jesus is more powerful than cancer. Cancer has just taken the life of my best man. He's going to be buried tomorrow. I'm grieving him. He was like a brother to me, like an older brother that I never had. He was a precious friend. And suddenly he's been taken. Within five days, inoperable cancer diagnosed and he's dead. He's gone. But my friends, Jesus is more powerful than cancer. Jesus is more powerful. Derek has gone to be with Jesus, which is better by far. But I still believe that Jesus is more powerful than this terrible cancer. The name of Jesus is more powerful than the strongest temptation or addiction. Jesus' name is more powerful than that thing that haunts you, that tries to pull you down. Jesus' name is more powerful. Jesus' name is more powerful than the baggage from your past that you sometimes think you'll never get rid of. No, in the name of Jesus, you can be cut off from it. Be cut off from it now in his name. The name of Jesus is more powerful than terminal illness, than death itself. He's our shepherd. He'll be with us through the valley of the shadow of death. You know, the psalmist David could sing about winning battles through the name of Yahweh. May we shout, this is Psalm 20 verse 5, may we shout for joy over your salvation and in the name of our God set up our banners. The image here is of raising the banner of the Lord on the enemy's ramparts. The text can be translated, in the name of our God we flaunt our banners. And David thought this was worth setting to music. There are fresh victories to be won by singing out our praises to God. That's another, another weapon in our armory, a weapon of praise. Do you have particular songs, hymns that stir your spirit, that cause you to go into the battle with faith? Just like the army of Jehoshaphat in 2 Chronicles 20 that go in and he has singers at the front of the battle as they go into battle and win. You know, during this pandemic... Tens of thousands of Christians around the world have been praying for a mighty spiritual awakening in the nations. Is that something that we can identify with and give ourselves to? You know, historic revivals invariably come in the most desperate of times when nations are at a low ebb and the church has lost its way. There have been so many instances. But having mentioned already this morning the Falklands conflict, I think you should know the sequel. In 1982, in the wake of the conflict, Argentina was in a desperate state. National pride uh, had been damaged. Many had lost their loved ones. The economy was in ruins. Um, the brutal military dictatorship 
that had ruled by fear since 1976 was still in control. But many in that nation were on their knees crying out to God, and God heard them. In the following year, the military junta was toppled and the Holy Spirit was poured out, launching revival. But the revival didn't last for a few months, not even for a couple of years. It lasted for 20 years. 20 years of extraordinary spiritual awakening in Argentina, uh, with hundreds of thousands of converts, people added to the church, many miracles. And that nation had been steeped in the occult. And so the revival was characterised by mighty deliverances. This was a, a wonderful spiritual battle won under God's banner in that land. Oh, I want to see that, don't you? Would you want to give yourself to winning this battle, to seek God in prayer, to intercede with all your heart, not only for persecuted believers, for pr protection and shelter, but also for a mighty spiritual awakening, a church on the offensive, not the defensive. And I'm just going to close. And very briefly, we not only find shelter and win battles under this banner, we are loved. <laughs> we are loved under this banner. This is articulated in the Song of Songs or Song of Solomon, a biblical love song. He brought me to his banqueting house and his banner over me is love. Chapter 2, verse 4. It's a different word for banner in the text here from Exodus 17. These are the words of the bride, delighting in her bridegroom's love. But there is a more glorious theme running beneath the surface in this poem, and that of God's love for his people, the royal bridegroom's love for his bride. When Moses named his altar, the Lord is my bat, he was saying, I want you to know that the Lord is my God, he is my beloved, and I am his. And when we say, the Lord is our banner, when we as a church say, the Lord is our banner, it is a declaration of being Christ's bride, his church. He is the bridegroom, and he delights over us. This morning, he's the one who raises a banner of love over us. We are loved under this banner. You are loved personally under this banner. Oh, find shelter under this banner this morning. Win battles under this banner from a base of love, being loved. God bless you this morning. It's such a privilege to share God's word with you. God bless you and keep you and make his face to shine upon you all. Amen.